Amen. So last week we started a, a three-week series on resting in hope, walking in faith, and pursuing in love. These are um, attributes, who we want to be as a church. Um, these are identity markers. So last week we spent time talking about what it means to rest in hope. And from Hebrews chapter 6, what we, what we found is that Jesus is our anchor. The Bible says we have a hope that is an anchor for our soul. And what we, uh, what we said is that an anchor uh, keeps a ship, keeps a boat from drifting. It keeps a boat from being pulled and um, moving to places it doesn't want to go, from, from drifting into uncharted waters and, and from shifting in the middle of treacherous winds and waves and storms. And in the same way, Jesus is our anchor who keeps us from drifting and from shifting. He holds us fast, and we can count on Him for that. And Jesus calls us into rest. In Matthew 11, uh, in verse 28, He says, Come to Me, all you who labor and are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Next words. Check it out. I'll give you rest. And then He says, Take My yoke upon you. That's wild, right? It's a crazy irony that Jesus says, I'm calling you into rest. Now, here's a, a, a tool for labor. Here's a tool for work. Let's strap up. Let's get busy. All right, that's wild because here's the reality. The rest that we have in Jesus is not a laziness. It's not a stopping from work. It is, a, it is being with him. What we, what we said is that rest is not about what you do. It's about who you're with. Right. So it's not about the stuff you're doing or not doing the work. It's about who you're yoked up to. And Jesus says, I'll give you rest if you yoke up to me. So he's our anchor. He's the hope that we have. We just sang about him. He's a living hope. Right. We don't hope in a dead God. Amen. We have a hope that will not disappoint. And how do we know that? Well, he came out of the grave. Jesus came out of the grave because he did we will, if we believe. So today I want to talk about what it means to walk in this faith. What does it mean to have a faith in this hope that actually does stuff? You know, uh, walking in faith is uh, one title we could have for this morning, or you, you could use the title, Faith Does. If you really believe what you say you believe... What are you doing about it? That's what I want to ask you this morning. And as a church, as Mountain View Church, if we really believe that Jesus is the only hope for the world, what are we doing about it? All right? If it's true, if it's true that there's hope in no one else but Jesus, and we've been given not only an anchor but this message, what are we doing with it? So this morning I want to talk about what it means to walk out our faith Action, putting action to what we believe. Grab your Bibles, if you will, and um, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11 and a little bit of chapter 12. So I want to read the first few verses of chapter 11 and the first few verses of chapter 12. And I gave you homework last week. Your homework this week is to read the whole chapter 11, all right? We're going to skip some segments. I want you to read the whole chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. And just meditate in it. Look at what all of these people were doing because of their faith. 
All right, Hebrews 11, first few verses, and then chapter 12. Um, hey, listen, uh, here at Mountain View, we, we like to honor God above all else. So when we read this word, it's God's voice spoken to you and to me. So there's nothing else said that's more important than what we're about to do. So let's stand together in honor of God's word. And then we'll be seated to listen to me talk, okay? Because he's much more important. In honor of God's word, Hebrews 11, let's just read the first six verses. And then the first two verses of Hebrews 12. Chapter 11 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen is not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up that he should not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Don't you want to live in such a way to please God? Here's the secret. Look at verse six. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. If you underline or highlight or mark in your Bible, that's a good one, okay? And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. All right, skip over, if you will, to chapter 12, first couple of verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, please bless the reading and now the preaching of your word. God, give us a faith that acts for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um... If you did not get a handout, a little teaching guide outline, I want to, I want to give that to you. If you didn't get one, would you just slip your hand up? And one of the guys, Russ, they're out on the table out there. Um, if you don't mind, hold your hand up, and we will uh, get those to you. Hey, listen, we're going to try to put them on the, on the table, so as you come in, be sure to grab one week after week so you'll have a, a guide to follow along, okay? Uh, lots of people didn't get them, so we'll take just a minute. As we begin talking about faith and what it means to walk in faith, I want us to begin by at least defining what is faith. 
Well, I mean, we can't walk in it if we don't know what it is, right? So what is faith? Well, the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, gives us... There's one more right over here, guys. A few more over here. The book of Hebrews, chapter 11, gives us a good working definition for it, okay? So look with me. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Hebrews 11, verse 1. It starts this way. Now, faith is... So what's coming is the definition. Now, listen. Faith is the assurance... Of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. So here's here's your definition. Faith is the assurance. Faith is the conviction. Faith is a sense of certainty. About a future reality. Something that's coming. It's not here yet. But it's coming. And I'm certain of it. No doubt about it. Alright. So faith and hope are very similar. You notice even in the definition that the. The scriptures give us, it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. They're they're linked together inseparably. Faith is not a feeling. You don't feel faithful. You don't have an opinion of faith. Faith is not an abstract thing. It's not like, um, uh, let the force be with you. One of those kinds of things. It's not, uh, let the faith be with you. That's not it. Faith is a certainty Of a reality that is going to come. Going to happen. Now what does that faith do? How does that kind of certainty behave? What is it? How does it act? That's what we're going to spend some time talking about. Before we get into that. um, Point number one. Real faith has a starting point. So. The terminology in this passage is about a race. You know, Hebrews 12, he says, let us run the race. So there's this idea of a race. And for our, for our purposes, our terminology is about walking the walk of faith. Well, in the scriptures, he says, run your race, right? So it's about a race. Well, every race has a starting point. You got the starting blocks. You got somebody beside you, you know, you know who's usually chewing tobacco and he's got a big gun. And he fires that off and boom, you're off, right? Your race begins. What's the starting point of biblical faith? Well, the scriptures tell us. I'm going to give you a starting point. Many of you, this is where you're at. Like, this is where you're at. Trying to discover who is the God of this book. Who is He? Why does that even matter? You're, on, you're in the starting blocks. So tune in. This is for you. Real faith has a starting point. I want you to zone in on Hebrews 11, verse 3 and verse 6. Look at what it says. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And then verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must... Believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, these are very generalities, right? These, these are statements of generally about God. But I'm telling you, this is, this is the starting point for genuine biblical faith. Now, it's not the fulfillment. That's, that's over here in chapter 12, looking unto Jesus, who's the author and the finisher, perfecter. That's where we're going. But where do we start? We start with here. Anyone who wants to come near to God must believe at least these four things. Are you ready? 
God is real. God is real. And for many of us that we're like, well, duh. But I'm telling you, some people struggle there. There's a lot of people, an increasing number of people who look around and they go, God can't be real. There's no way God's real. And there's a lot of contributors to that line of thinking, you know. There's suffering in the world that's really hard to explain. So let's not be arrogant. There's evil. There's all kinds of stuff in the world that we just don't understand. And it kind of makes us go, I mean, is there really a God? The Bible says if you want to get near to this God, you've got to first at least say He exists. He's real. I want to say two things. One, book of Ecclesiastes 3, chapter 3, verse 11, it tells us this, that God has put eternity in the heart of man. So every one of us, we know there's something greater than us. Everybody knows. It can't be just these 70, 80 years if we're lucky. We're blessed, right? It can't just be that. What's the, there's got to be a deeper purpose for me than just to live, make money, retire, push the shuffleboard around and die. Right? It's got to be better than that. There's something better. Scriptures say God's put eternity in the heart of man. There's a sense of that reality. We just don't know what it is. There's another statement in the Proverbs. The book of Proverbs says this. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. That's a strong statement from God's word. A fool says in his heart, there is no God. But I want to tell you with all the compassion I can muster, there are a lot of people in our world who are Refusing to run the race at the starting blocks because they're saying there is no God. If you want to draw near to this God, you must first say and believe God is real. Secondly, God is powerful. This is the starting point for real faith. God is powerful. Where's that? All right, verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Now, we're missing a few things in our English translations here. So let me just flesh it out for a minute. The word universe is unique. It's not used a whole lot in the Bible. It's not the same as the word cosmos for world. You know, for God so loved the world. That's cosmos. The word cosmos means all those things that you see and know. Everything you see and know. That that's encompasses a lot. Like that's all the things your eyes see. That's all the things the Hubble telescope sees. That's cosmos. That's the world. For God so loved the world. Universe, that's a whole different word. And here's what it means. God created everything you see and know and everything else. All the stuff the Hubble telescope can't show you. All the other stuff that may be out there that maybe there's life on another planet or whatever. God made it all. This God made it all. So I don't have the answers to all those questions. I don't, I don't need to. All I need to know is this God told me he made it all. And not only did he make it all, but here's how he made it. With his words. You talk about power. He didn't lift a finger. 
He didn't break a sweat. He spoke. Boom. That's power. God is powerful. There's a lot of different words or a few different words when we read the word of God, our English, the word. There's a few different words. There's logos. That's kind of the most common, very general. There's there's graphe, which means the written word of God. And then there's this word, which is rhema. And this means the spoken word of God, the word that leaves his mouth and goes out there and does what he tells it to do. God is powerful. Thirdly, God is good. Where is that in, in this passage? Where is that? Hebrews eleven six. Anyone who would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. How bad would God have to be to turn away people who are genuinely seeking him? Let me make it clear. That does not happen. Our God will not turn away any soul that genuinely seeks Him. And if your view of election or Calvinism doesn't allow for that, you're wrong. Our God is good. And He's the rewarder of those who seek Him. He's good. He's good. God is good. Fourth thing. God has all authority. He has all authority. All those things combined. The power of our God, the goodness of our God, the reality existence of our God. Here's what it says. He's made it all. He owns it all. You may not like this, but you belong to your creator. You are owned by him. That may not sit well with you, but the only reason it doesn't is because you have a rebellious heart, just like I do. And I don't like being owned. The only thing that brings comfort to me about being owned by this Creator is that He is good. He's better than anything you could imagine. Now these four realities from this text, this is the starting point of faith. This is how it begins for you. It begins for me. What does this kind of faith do? Here's what we see. Second point. Real faith has a starting point. Second point. Real faith obeys. So simple, right? There's an old hymn. I grew up, you know, Southern Baptist Church. Grew up as a kid. My dad is a music minister. I learned this song. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to what? Trust and obey. You know what? Old song, great truth. It's really simple. Faith is all about trusting and obeying. It's all about trusting that this powerful God who spoke it all into existence and is a rewarder of those who seek Him, He knows better than you do and that I do. He knows better. So we faithfully obey His voice. Crazy thing is that all of creation, all of creation obeys the voice of this God. And we humans have the audacity to look Him in the face and say, no. 
I want you to look at Hebrews 11. By faith, Abel offered a sacrifice. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch pleased God. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place. Verse 11, by faith, um, Sarah considered him faithful who had promised. Skip down. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham offered up Isaac. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac invoked blessing. Joseph um, bowed in worship. Uh, Joseph made mention of the Exodus. By faith, Moses, um, he refused in verse 24. He chose in verse 25. He considered in verse 26. I'm trying to connect active verbs with faith. What did they do? What did their faith do? This is the point of this chapter. Verse 29, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea. By faith, the walls of Jericho came down because they encircled seven times, like God said. By faith, Rahab welcomed the outsiders, right? We could go, keep going, keep going. And here's what you find is that faith is actively obeying God. And if it's not, it's not faith. Two blanks here for you. I'm just giving them to you quickly. Faith listens and faith obeys. I want you to write down on that little handout the word Shema. S-H-E-M-A. It's a Hebrew word. Shema. S-H-E-M-A. Faith listens. Faith obeys. All of that is wrapped up in this Hebrew word Shema. Are you familiar with the Shema? Anybody familiar with that? If, you, if I said, hey, who can quote the Shema? Who would know how it starts? Anybody? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's Deuteronomy 6. It's the most known passage by Jews. They quote it. I mean, ritually. It's the Shema. And it's called the Shema. It's named that for the first word in the statement. And it's this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. I want to tell you a crazy reality. You ready? There's not a separate Hebrew word for obey. You say, what does that mean? Here's what it means. When God says hear with your ears, he means obey. There's not a separate word. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. When he says hear, he means obey. This is what Jesus is getting to in the New Testament when he says, you who have ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. How's he going to know if you have ears to hear? Can you answer it? If you obey. Let me give you a really practical application of how this works out. If you're a parent in the room, raise your hand. How many of you have ever said to your children, Did you not hear what I said? <laughs> Why do you say that? Because they did not obey. Guess what? In your minuscule little human authority, you have the same expectation. God, who's the authority of all creation, expects His people to hear and obey. And if we don't, it's not faith. Jesus gives, among other things, one great command to us. He says, all authority has been given to me. In heaven and on earth. Therefore, 
This is big, church. This is why we exist. Therefore, go and what? Make disciples of all nations. That's, that's our command. This is why we exist. Hope you know that. Why does Mountain View Church exist? Because of that. Go and make disciples of all nations. Now, this morning I tried this little theory out. I said, Riley, talking to my daughter, she's my seven-year-old. Riley, authority has been given to me. <laughs> Not much, but a little bit. Therefore, go and make your bed. Now imagine, what if my daughter runs back to her room and she spends a little bit of time in there and then she comes back to me and she says, Daddy, I heard what you said. I memorized it. Um, You said, Riley, go and make your bed. It's pretty good, right? Me and my friends, we got together and Lila plays the guitar and she wrote a song. She's got a really cool bridge to it, but it goes like this. Go and make your bed. We've, we've learned a song about this go and make your bed thing that you told us to do. It's pretty awesome. Let me ask you. Is that obedience? Uh-uh. Is it faith? No. What if Riley comes back and she says, Daddy, you said go and make your bed and I can say it in Greek. I've got it. I, I know it backwards and forwards. We've studied it. I've even studied all the other places you said go and make your bed. I, I, I know them backwards and forwards. I got it. It's all up here. Got it. Did you make your bed? No, not yet. Mm. Is that obedience? No. Is it faith? No. Faith obeys. And I feel like We as church, not just Mountain View, but as a church at large, we've found a lot of ways to pretend to obey. And God wants a people who will faithfully listen and obey. Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Let's do what He says. Let's do it. Thirdly and lastly, real faith treasures God above all else. Real faith treasures God above all else. The writer of Hebrews finishes this whole section of this whole passage in Hebrews 12 by saying, therefore, let us also, just like all of these guys, we're now pulling us. He's pulling us into the idea. Let us also run with endurance the race that is set before us. Then he says, looking to Jesus. So Jesus is our example What does Jesus do? Here's what he does. He values God above everything. So much, the Bible says right here, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That took a system of value, right? I mean, he had to value God so highly that death, not just any death, but cruel Torturous death is worth it. We have a a set of values. I just want to ask you, what do you really value? The reason this is important is because it will determine whether or not you obey. 
Do you treasure Jesus or do you treasure fill in the blank? Because what you do is determined by what you value. And we must learn from Jesus to treasure God above all else. So what do you really value? Don't tell me. Let your time and money answer the question. What do you really value? So here's, here's what I mean. Does your time and money go into your faithful obedience to God? Or is it in all the peripheral things that really are probably not that important? Big question for us today, church. Do we want to walk in faith? Because we're given a prescription right here in Hebrews 12 for how to do it. I want to walk you through these four things quickly. I want you to watch a video. Here we go. Do you want to walk in faith? This is what it means to walk in faith. First, to repent of your sin. That's what we're told. Run with, run with endurance. How do you do that? Well, you lay aside every sin. That means you repent of the things that do not please God. Repent. It's a scary word. It means turn away from. Stop doing it. Um, love God more. That's what it means. Repent of your sin. Secondly, cut the excess. Cut the excess. Have you ever seen a cross-country runner or a, um, a 26-mile, what is that called? Marathon. A marathon runner, thank you. <laughs> a marathon runner. Have you ever seen a marathon runner run with a backpack? Why would they not run with a backpack full of rocks? Because that's dumb, right? Why? Right? It is. It's dumb. Okay, so why do we... Are we naive to think that we're not in a race? That we're not running a race of faith and yet we keep loading ourselves down with junk? Remember what Jesus said. Come to me, all you who labor and are weary and heavy laden, heavy laden, heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you for my burden is easy. And it's light. Here's a clue. If your burden is not easy and not light, it's not Jesus. Rest in Him helps you walk in faith. Cut the excess. Let's get rid of anything that doesn't help us run. Thirdly, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He's the example. Um, let me add to that. Look, to, look also to other men and women. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul uses this statement. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. I think that's a good model for us. Sometimes when we say we're looking to Jesus, well, he's sometimes hard to see. And it's helpful if you have a flesh and blood brother or sister doing life with you that you can look at and you can go, man, they're further down the road than me. And it would really help me if I start doing some of the things they're doing. You know what that's called? Discipleship. Discipleship. Fourthly, commit to the church. You say, well, wait, wait a minute. Okay, here's the sales pitch. Commit to the church. Where do you get that? I want you to look at Hebrews 12. I want you to see all the plural verbs. Look at them. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And it goes on and on and on and on. Here's the thing. You're not meant to run this race solo. You're meant to run it with us. 
together. I need you. And you need me. We need each other to run well. Let me finish with this. At, at Mountain View Church, we're trying to develop a strategy and, uh, to help us better make disciples. So, first time I'm going to say this, right? First time. Here's kind of a general look at a strategy for disciple making. You ready? Three things. I, I put them in a little box on your notes. MVC. Here's how we strategize to make disciples. And, and look, this is still being shaped, but this is what's in my head, okay? Here it comes. One. We gather weekly. We come together to open this book and see what does God want to say to us? And then we push each other to walk in obedience. So we gather weekly to worship him and to provoke each other to love him and love others. That's what we want to do. We gather weekly. We're committed to that. It matters. It's important. We gather. Secondly, we group. All right. I'm, I desire to see more people involved in small groups than come here on a Sunday. Because I believe real discipleship only happens within real relationships. I can't disciple you from here. I can help. But I can't disciple you from here. You can come here and learn and we can grow together in the Word of God. But unless you're arm in arm with another brother or another sister, that's, that's discipleship. So groups, and I want to talk to you two groups quickly. Life groups is about relationships, friendship, fellowship, and prayer. That's really the goal. That's life groups, right? It's just families getting together, doing life together, having a meal together in each other's homes, praying for each other's needs. Not a Bible study, but just getting to know each other where you can do life together. Life group. Secondly is D groups. This is an intentional like men or women about five people in a group and we're going to get together and we're actually going to walk through this book. Our whole goal is to study what God is saying and learn to study this book together for about an hour a week. That's a D group. And you go, hey man, you're committing my time. Well, yeah, because you treasure Jesus more, right? And real faith treasures Jesus more above all things. So yeah, it takes time. Relationships take time. The third thing is to go, right? We, we gather, we group, and we go. What does that mean? Well, in April, I'm taking a group of five of us to Lebanon. Now, that may be a little crazy for you. Later, we're going to go to Haiti, somewhere down the road, all right? Those are opportunities for you to capitalize on. But day to day, the goal and expectation is that you go to work with the gospel, that you go to your neighborhood with the gospel and you love your neighbors in Jesus' name. That you go to the park with your children and you play and you talk to another parent. Just talk Jesus. Talk Bible. Talk the hope that you have. That you just talk to people where you live, work, and play about Jesus. That's the expectation. It's how you're going to grow as a believer, as a disciple, as a follower, is by gathering, by grouping for discipleship, and by going with the gospel. That's our strategy to make you a better runner, a better disciple. It's simple, not hard, but it is a commitment. So I want to ask you, how well are you running? 